Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organ and the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. According to an article published in the Wall Street Journal, young employees seek purpose, flexibility, collaboration, and innovation. Four ways the article suggests we can motivate young employees includes technology flexibility, skill alignment, providing opportunities for innovation, and ensuring that they they have an empowered well-being and work-life balance. Given that as generations enter into the workforce with their unique challenges, wants, and needs, we wanted to take a moment to share experiences and advice on how to motivate and empower the youngins in the office. Here today to discuss this topic is myself, Carl Letamendi from New York City. And Jasmine Letamendi. And recording from Los Angeles, we have... Courtney Hirose. Yeah. Courtney. <laughs> and I will do the take it away. So for the first six years of my academic journey, I had a chance to do a bachelor's degree in business administration and management and a master's degree in administration, management and finance. So I was always very I was always around the the theories behind management and these great um, people who experimented with the managerial um, arena, the IBM experiments, or the development of theory X and theory Y employees, introversion versus extroversion, how to group people into teams, how to hire them, how to fire them, HR stuff. I've been around the block when it comes to to managing, um, to, to management things. And I've also had the privilege of supervising lots of people in all of the positions that I've held over the last decade. And I really want to just propose this topic today so that we can look at the current workforce. Now, as I reflect on my studies, I I recall that most of the time, whenever they're talking about experiments that have been done, they're recalling like the industrial era or the very beginning of the technology boom. But Times have changed, needs have changed, technology is is evolving faster than we can catch up to it, and I feel like the current generation of people in the workforce are not your traditional employees that stick around for 20 years, wait for that gold watch, and retire with a pension. I feel like people nowadays, they they come out of college, and they choose to stay in the workforce for, for a little bit, and they kind of hop around, and for some employers, that might be a negative thing because they really want to try to hold on to uh, to employees as much as they can for in order to retain the expertise, to develop staff. And I'm finding that a lot of organizations are having trouble with turnover. I, I see that a lot in a lot of the management articles that I see. So I just wanted to put that out there and see if um, you all had any experiences or observations about changes between what could be the workforce of the past versus the workforce of today. Courtney? Um, so I manage my own team here in LA and I have the benefit of kind of being a younger individual myself. So I wouldn't necessarily have something to compare from the old to the now, but from my perspective, just working at an advertising agency, like most of these agencies have a duration of like one to two years. One to two years is a maximum of amount of time someone's willing to stay at a company. And if you stay longer than two years, you're considered like 
an old quote unquote agency person or a quote unquote lifer, which I think is kind of a funny thought if you think about it from long term, if you read the books of how people have stayed at companies for 10 years, 15 years, so on and so forth. And nowadays, that seems a little unheard of. So with that under my belt, and just knowing that I always kind of call it out and just bring it up front to the table that my job isn't to make them an employee under my team forever, but that I'm willing to spend the time and educate them and train them to make sure that they're just a successful professional overall. And so far, as long as I do what I say, that seems to have resonated with the majority of my team. And in terms of turnover, I've only really had one person that I wanted to stay leave. Um, and that was at the very beginning when I was still kind of establishing my roots. So I think regardless of the generation, I think people just respond to the respect of their leader if their leader is willing to kind of go above and beyond for them and they can see that and they can feel the effort. Um, I think that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. So then do you think that modern supervisors should not have the expectation that their young staff members are going to stay for longer than two years? Yeah, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for a lot of these things. I think if you get them to stay longer than a couple of years, it's more of a bonus than a, than something that you should be offended by if they leave. Because right. it's just people are looking for more money, people are looking for more opportunity, and if you can't give it to them just because your company can't give the extra funds at that point in time, because getting a promotion after every three, four, five months, six months is not is not like a sustainable thing in the long run when you go to upper management. Right. That's something that I've noticed, too, is that a lot of people who do stay within the organization for longer than like five years or maybe even in the same position, they tend to have have kind of like a, a little bit of a negative aura around them where it's you. It's very obvious that they're upset because they didn't get a chance to move up in the organization. But I feel like now um, we're convinced that if you do want to move up, you have to also be willing to leave. Mm hmm. Yeah, most people, they realize, specifically in student affairs, if you start, once you finish your, you know, graduate studies, you have your master's, you, st you start your first job, it's entry-level job, and most of the jobs are for two years. If you, if you get a resident assistant job, you work managing a residential hall, and so you have a small staff that you also supervise, a student staff, but you are in charge of a building and anything related to crisis. So it's a good uh, opportunity for a lot of young professionals to get started in the field. And the best perk about it, too, is that what, depending on your on the institution that you work for, you get an apartment that's part of your package, your compensation package as well. So those are those are some things that are important to consider. And most professionals, they stay at least two years and they they move up. Um, and they go to different institutions because it's really hard now to say that you can stay at your home institution where you first started and landed your first entry job and that you can be there for 20 years. I have seen it, but it was um, it was only like one or two people that I know that have done that. But other than that, everybody else that I've known has been the reason why they've grown in their career is because they've relocated. So they'll start off in Florida, then they'll move to Mississippi, then they'll move to Oregon and Philadelphia and whatnot, but just so that they could get the experiences that they want to to move them to the next level. So I think that's important too that we to understand that you're not gonna have the mobility to just 
you know, stay home and then, you know, work from home or or like live close to your parents and like and and that kind of stuff, it's going to be a little hard because if you really want to grow in your career, you might you might even have to even work abroad in another country. And so how you know how much you really care about your career and like the work that you're doing. So you kind of have to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about the field of student affairs is that usually the the entry level is typically residential hall work for for the most part or working in residence life Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and you deal with so many different things while working there that it's really like a a good way to test the waters and see if that job is even for you and if you don't like certain elements of it you can move to another part of student affairs and say you know what i really don't like residential hall stuff but i like conduct stuff or i don't like residential hall stuff but i do like greek life or I hate great life, but I really want to work with student accounts or, you know, things like that. But it kind of gives you a very good um, overview of, of all the little areas that you can get into within the field. And then you tr- you transition into that. And even for people who decide that student affairs is not for them, they still take with them that management and administration experience, too, mm-hmm. into other fields. That's that's also happened with with our friends um, in, in our network also. But it, it's not every field has that benefit. So, like, for example, I've seen a lot of students back when I was an academic advisor in, in finance, for example, they'll go to they'll go to finance school with something very specific. And then it's implied that you go straight in straight into banking or that you are already working in banking and you're going to get the degree to move up. But for a lot of those students that don't, didn't have the banking background, they finished the degree they try to get a job in banking and they did and realized that they hate it. So then it was so specific that it's like, damn, what do I do now? And then there were some other degree programs that were even more specific, like real estate management, you know, so, so, so specific that it doesn't have the flexibility of the student affairs um, area also. The thing is, too, with student affairs, you have to work long hours and events as well so it's you have you have your ups and downs but you can be able to have that flexibility which is a great thing and within that you also you're supervising so if you're in charge of a a student's or even, um, you know, pre-professionals, like you have the opportunity to really make a difference in their development, which is something great that as educators, we each, all of us have an opportunity to give back to others. And some, but we've had mentors. So now it's like as your, your opportunity to give back, which is one of the rewarding parts of working with young professionals. Mm-hmm. Right. So what would you both say, like the main kind of or motivator that you guys have for your team to make them want to stay longer at each of your establishments i think that if it were me and the objective would be to keep them longer and happy so because happy employee happy outputs right (laughs) um i would say that you really have to do a lot less less a lot less speaking and a lot more listening and try to hear them out and understand what their ambitions are. And that's something I say a lot. Once you have a firm understanding of someone's ambitions, you have them. Like, that's it. You already have, like, their deepest, darkest secret. Because then you can leverage that as a supervisor and use it to to keep them there, to keep them engaged. And 
if you're the type of supervisor that likes giving hope to your employees that they might move up or that you might promote them or that they can transition somewhere else in the company or even transition out, if you know what their ambitions are, you can say, hey, you know, I, I know that you're very passionate about public speaking and I can tell because I see you and you're always volunteering for these things. Is that something that is interesting to you? And then you hear them. And if anything comes up in the company that allows them to be engaged in public speaking or networking or anything like that, and you bring them in and they didn't know that, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're giving them a gift. So I think that a good supervisor should listen and they should also try to understand their employees' ambitions so that they can use that for their benefit. And it's a win-win situation, I think. For me, it's important to understand their goals because by understanding their goals, then I'm able to help customize their, their experience. So, for example, I, you talked about public speaking. I actually worked with, uh, you know, with one of the students that I was supervising, wanted to have the opportunity to speak in front of a, um, an audience. They were scared and they were actually uh, really impressed because they've I've confessed to them in one of the trainings that I'm actually an introvert, but I've learned to come out of my shell. And, you know, they were like, so, so a couple of students went up to me and they were like, you were, you were an introvert. I can't believe that. Like that's, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, we have this opportunity for you. Um, if you want to like prepare a speech and I'll coach you through it along with another student who, who presented a year, uh, prior, but is also willing to mentor. So not only are they getting mentored by their supervisor, but also by a peer as well. So that was a great opportunity for development because you're able to understand like the goal that they want. They want to push themselves. They want to write a speech. They want to be able to talk in front of a group of people and may, and you know, just to be able to do that because that is the number one fear. So as a supervisor, that was that was important because I was like, oh, how can I motivate? How and with that motivation is something that even, um, you know, months pass by, and this, you know, the the student will come back and be like, I am, I, thank you for pushing me. I really learned so much with this experience, um, and now I'm not afraid to talk to 300 or 500 people in a room, you know, so <laughs> of all different kinds of ages. So that was that was remarkable, I think. Mm-hmm. You guys want to play a game? Sure. Sure. Okay. So this is, um, we're going to take turns and maybe come up with like three things that you think a young employee would ask or say to their boss, like in general. And I will start with the question just so that you kind of have a sense of what, what the kind of situations are. And if you want to answer it, you can. And if you don't, you can say pass. And it'll be funny because these are like real situations anyway. You guys ready? Yes. Yeah, let's try. Yeah. Okay. I want to go on vacation, but I only have four days accrued. But I want to go away for two weeks. So... Sorry, one sec. How would you, what was the game exactly just to respond in three words? Is that what you said? You could, you could respond to it or you can pass if you don't want to. But that's like the little role play. 
I'm an employee and I have four days of vacation, but I want to take a two two week vacation because I think I've earned it and I worked hard. If you add that last part, it really changes what you say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Unpaid vacation. (laughs) Unpaid vacation. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. So definitely if you have staff members, that's something I had to do. It's funny because that happened to me and I was the person (laughs) and I just realized that right now. Yeah, I ended up taking some unpaid days. But anyway, uh, that's okay. How would you handle that, Courtney? As long as you're covered, because that's that would be my answer. But my thing is, if you end up leaving beforehand, they're going to take money out of your paycheck to pay for it anyway. So it doesn't really affect me. Mm-hmm. So they would lose that money. Like I like I don't physically pay them with my money. It would be the company money. And then you you would have to pay the company back for the time you took. So mm-hmm. that's like your own decision. I don't really mind if people take vacation days if they don't accrue it. Cool. So put the responsibility on them and let them know yeah. the consequences. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So uh, who wants to go next? Mm, if they said, I've been here one year, I deserve that promotion. <laughs> hmm. Wow, one year is certainly a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely uh-huh. sufficient to demonstrate that you can carry forth the responsibilities of a I would say it, <laughs> if you know if you want a promotion you're going to take on more responsibility so we would need to do an assessment of the work that the workload that you have right now and to get that promotion like what that would look like and also look look with our HR to make sure that we are all, you know, we have an okay and what, proce- what processes we need to go through in order for this to happen. But it's also about performance as well. We have to make, that's why you have to assess all those different areas. Performance, the workload, balance type thing. And then... You know, I would actually handle that differently because you can, if so, if, if, Employee Courtney comes up to you and says, I want a promotion. I've been here for a year. You can you can try to figure out how to get that employee a promotion. But I think that's jumping the gun a little bit. I think that you can also get to it by by trying to find out why Courtney wants a promotion. So maybe Courtney wants a promotion because she hates her title and it's not about money. She just wants a title change. Right. Let's say she's a data analyst and she's worked here for a year and her other colleagues that have been here for a little longer are executive, data scientist, senior data analyst, and she just wants to get bumped up to something more fancy than just data analyst. So you would never know that unless you asked Courtney why she wants a promotion or what is it like or what is it that's frustrating her about her current the current state of the situation that it's prompting her to want to be promoted well it also depends too if you work for a union you know if you work for a union or you don't if you work in a more um, like for an agency or you know the private sector is a little different 
But if you work for a public, um, you know, and you're represented by a union and you're going to ask for more money, they're going to ask you for all these things and they're going to look at all these things. So that that's why it would be important to look at it that way. But if you work for, um, you know, in the private sector where you have that, you don't have to go through all those loops and, you know, just it's more about conversation and talking to your supervisor or the CEO, you could go straight to the CEO of the company, then that's that's very different. So it also depends on the setting and the type of um, company that you work for, organization. Right. So, all right, let's let's go back to employee Courtney and <laughs> and see why why do, why is like what okay, so this is not role play anymore, but what would be some reasons, Courtney, that you feel that employee Courtney would want a promotion? I want more money. I've been here for a year. Okay. And I do, yeah. All right, keep going, sorry. No, no, and I do the same work as the other people here, so I feel like I deserve more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to be able to, you know, be asking for more money and especially advocating for yourself. And one that's rec- something that's very important. One recommendation I can give because supposedly salaries are all supposed to be anonymous. And depending on who hires you, when you were hired, what school you went to, how many years of experience you have, who you know, what your situation is, um, unfortunately, your gender, your race, a lot of factors can go into the hiring manager's decision of how much to pay you that either like you'll never know. You, you'll never know what, what factored into that. And if you, as a manager or supervisor, fall into that situation where you have an employee that's kind of like slowly realizing, because some, some staff members do talk about it. They talk about their salary uh, with each other or they'll find out in indirect ways like uh, like I sneakily did when I used to work for a company a long time ago. And I was like, man, I really like this car. I wonder how long I'd have to work to buy it. And then the other person told me how long they'd have to work to get it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know what you make. But anyway, um, if that does happen and and the employee realizes that there's some sort of disparity, bet- not, not just in the in the pay, but also in the workload, like that sucks when an employee finds out that they work harder than everyone else. Maybe they're the top performer, but they're getting paid less than everyone else. That would be a factor for that employee to leave right away because mm-hmm. they're going to be like, oh, this isn't fair. But if the employee brings you to that situation and it's legitimate and it's a it's a valid concern, one thing that you could do if you're strapped for resources because of budgetary constraints is you can allow the employee to maybe work less hours. And I think that's kind of like one way to compensate because you might get the same output from that employee as you would from any everyone else who's making a little bit more. But you're you're having the employee work a little less. So like the net dollar amount per minute of labor is is still, you know, a, a little less than everyone else. But you're getting you're getting that to the employee a little longer, I guess. So what do you do if they come back a year later and say it's been a year? I want another promotion. <laughs> it's been another year. Well, you know, I think in in an organization where there's a clear pipeline, like a clear promotion pipeline, that that doesn't that doesn't happen too often. So, like for example, and I'm gonna bring in like federal and military pay scales. You know, coming in, how much you're gonna make. 
period. Like there's a grid and a table that's organized based on your level, your rank, your years of experience and whatnot. And you know exactly how much you're going to be making. So for someone coming in as an officer in the military, they know like, okay, I'm an 01. This is how much I'm going to make my first year, my third year, my fifth, 10th year of service. And if they want to make more money, they have to level up and they you level up by doing certain things. Maybe you can get higher education or whatever, but like you have to get out of your, your grade and then go to the next level up. So you can literally like look at the grid and then choose the type of salary that you want to have and then develop a plan to get to that point, which is great, but not, not companies don't offer that. It's kind of like omitted. And, um, and, and a lot of companies now they copy off of each other when it comes to salary. So like if they're going to hire a statistician, They'll go online and see what other companies are paying statisticians and they'll just pay them that as opposed to um, paying what I hate seeing on job posting is commensurate with experience because that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> and most positions too, they're going to try to pay, they have a range and with the range, they're going to try to pay you with the lowest range unless you're able to negotiate and bring in like your skill sets that why, you know, you should be compensated that way. Mm-hmm. yep all right so jasmine you're last with our little role play you get to be an employee throw something at us i want to take a year off but i still want my job when i come back courtney you want to take that on um, I would say no, our vacation policy is 20 days. You can take a vacation for 20 days and decide what you want to do after that. I want Courtney to be the director of our, our <laughs> division. Yay, boss lady. But you know what? It's, I'm glad that you brought that up because when you have a good policy to refer to, like a good employee handbook, that when you're onboarding your staff, you have them sign that they acknowledge the, the, mm-hmm. the rules and regulations, then it's easier to do something like that to say, hey, according to our employee handbook, which you signed when you started and you agreed to, unfortunately, you only get 20 days of unpaid leave. And after after on the 21st day, we have to reopen your position and close your your position or something like that but when you don't have that when you don't have a solidified policy and it's just like whatever then it gets it gets harder there's nothing on paper to for you to go to court and say hey this staff member agreed to this so i'm good then it can open up you're opening up like a whole can of worms to all sorts of issues that the staff member might even make up that weren't really the the case to begin with Mm mm-hmm and I mean, I would probably handle it the same way. And but for those organizations that don't have the clear policy and I've worked at those organizations that don't have clear policies, I would just be if it were the situation where I was like, damn, we should have a policy. But now the situation has happened. I would try to I would actually try to accommodate the employee. And um, yeah, I would. Well, it would be a year, a year unpaid. Because there's no work, obviously. It's not like a slip and fall or like an Aflac thing where there was an injury. I would just try to find out what the situation is. If it's like a personal situation, 
or something like that, or it, it might be an opportunity to develop some sort of like sabbatical, um, like a sabbatical regulation or something like that. Or I don't know, but depending on the situation, then you, you give the employee the benefit of the doubt, you let them take the unpaid time. And if you can manage without that staff member for a year and just kind of like have other staff members or temps fill in the role in the meantime, your staff member is probably not going to come back after one year, to be honest. That's what I think. They'll probably move on to something else, decide to, I don't know. There's so many opportunities out there and so many organizations that it's not, it's not like everyone's flocking to the same company to go try to work there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, is it tough? Right, supervision is tough overall. Just even how a, and working with people and people throwing wild cards at you, so you're like, oh. It's a science. You yeah. gotta you gotta be good at, at keeping a, a team together, making sure that they don't attack one another, that they're not bullying each other, that everybody's putting like pulling their weight. Because people are mean to one another mm-hmm. in a team. Yeah. It surprised me how much adults don't act like adults sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you really coming at me right now? Is this really what you're saying to me? Or you're playing the ignoring game now? That's what you're really doing? Are we in like fifth grade? <laughs> it's like, that's fine. It's whatever. You're not on my team. Don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, there's just, there's just weird nuances that people feel like they need to resort to. And I'm like, you're older than me and you're resorting to just playing like a ignoring my existence, even though we need to work together. So that's counterproductive to everyone. So, yeah, it's kind of it's, weir- it's kind of yeah. silly. Mm-hmm. Like these 14 year old life coaches <laughs> that try to uh, coach 50 year olds through their life crises. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> it's so- an it's an interesting dynamic. People are people are what people are. You just have to be lucky to hire the right ones. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you, so other contemporary management issues with the newer generation, not just with young people, but just how people behave in general. How do you handle people who are not paying attention in a meeting because they're on social media on their phone? Oh, I have quizzes at the end of the meetings and they all know I'm very upset. I don't let them leave the room until they can answer a question. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I've done that too. I've done that too. Just especially when it's regarding something that's very important or a new policy or procedure and that mm-hmm. we have, you know, customer service. We have all these students coming in and asking questions. So it's like you guys are all helping to answer the same question and we all need to be on the same page. So I quiz them too and they're like, one got it, the other one did it, then the other one made the other, you know, like laugh and feel bad, and then it was like, okay, now I have to know this stuff. Have you guys seen? Yeah. Have you guys seen Austin Powers? <laughs> Not really. No, uh, that, that's one of the movies I haven't really seen. The guy just looks really gross, and I'm like, eh, I don't want to watch. He it. is gross, but <laughs> there's a like Doctor Evil, the bald one. He has like an office. And he and um, every seat has is on like a platform that opens and throws the employee down to the sharks. So <laughs> I picture like Courtney, you're like, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Send them to the sharks. So when someone on my team does something kind of because he's really like, I don't know, charismatic guy. That's the word. Mm-hmm. So if you see someone on their phone, he, he'll just walk up behind them while they're not paying attention. He'll be like, so what you looking at? 
what you talking about? And then they kind of get nervous because they know they're not supposed to do it. So I'm like, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm not the only one having to police everyone because there's so many of them now. I'm like, that's a good one. I know I can't pull it off because I come off as a bit aggressive. If I did, they'd be like, oh, sorry, Courtney. It wouldn't be a laughing thing. and just be like, sorry. Yeah. I don't know if I could do the quizzes because I, I would be concerned about how my staff would perceive me. And that's just me and, and how I am. But I would try to... You can make it fun. I, I you could, know? I could, yeah. I would try to make it like fun or whatever, like, or I would be like, "Hey, everybody, let's play a game. The game is called Put Your Cell Phone in This Basket, or something <laughs> like that." But you would do something like that. I would probably, um, like, try to schedule the meeting in the room that I know doesn't have reception. That's smart. I think it's like today we're after... meeting in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I think after those meetings, too, if I know specifically who's not paying attention, I'll just pull them inside and explain why it's important for them to pay attention, especially if they want to get like promoted or something. They're an example for other people. So mm-hmm. if they're on their phone, then why should anyone listen to them if they're on their phone? What if I was on my phone while you're talking to me? Then would you be happy? And then it's like the same thing. Right. I think mm-hmm. they just don't understand like how those type of things affect other people. And how much they're losing by not paying attention because I try my best to not put them in like useless meetings. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's the elaborate like quiz thing. And then they all kind of act as a team to answer the questions because if someone really doesn't know, I don't want them to feel like they're being bullied. So I'm like, OK, so whoever's answered a question correctly, they can help him if they want to. And then they all start like joking with each other to see if they want to help the person. So they're <laughs> kind of like just goofing around for mm-hmm. maybe like another five to ten minutes. But it keeps it lighter. So it's yeah. not like they're in a dungeon or anything. Right. Yeah. How do you feel about people who bring like fidget spinners and fidget cubes to meetings? Mm, I don't care as long as they, they're taking notes. If I notice people aren't taking notes, I'll stop and I'll ask them a question in the middle of the meeting. And do you do you prefer your staff take notes on paper or on laptop or what? Mm. Either works. Um, What I do is sometimes for meetings, I rotate who has to send out the recap. So that means if they don't have any notes for the recap, then I can tell they're not paying attention, attention, but they have to send it to the whole team. So it makes them accountable and no one really likes to look dumb. So it has so everyone really kind of has to pay attention. Yeah, I think that's something that we can all take away is that everybody is big on face saving. So if you do, if you put them on the spot and make and hold them accountable, then they they will. Mm -hmm. They will be at their best, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. So right now we're at that 34-minute mark in the show. And do you guys want to move to the bottom line? Yes. Sure. All right. We didn't have a research question, but just had a discussion today about how to manage, I guess, millennials. We keep going going back to millennials. But not just that, but also people in the workplace today. It's definitely different than how it was 20, 40, 60 years ago. So new generations bring new challenges and also new opportunities. So for the bottom line question, just wanted to ask, what advice do you have for current managers in the workforce today? Jasmine? Stay true to yourself and have a mission statement. It's very important to have a mission statement because you can always remind yourself why you're doing the work that you're doing, your purpose, because you get caught up in the day-to-day grind, the nitty-gritty, and you forget about all you know the work that you're doing and 
the people that you're helping in the communities so stay true to yourself that's the one thing and take every experience that you can because if you just sign up to be you know to work on a newsletter who knows that one newsletter can now be seen by the entire organization and you've just helped to develop a form of communication within your organization which is also something that you've contributed to so every opportunity take it mm-hmm. cool courtney um mine's more along the lines it's my mission statement personally because to jasmine points i think that's a good point of advice is respect is given like is earned it's not given so if you really want your team to be loyal to you you need to kind of be on the grounds with them and just earn that respect so they know that you're someone that they can put their trust in that they can lean on and they can rely on and i think that's all you can really ask for like a leader of the team to ensure that they know they're taken care of and their their goals are like your goals and their their growth is your growth um as long as you put them first as their leader i feel like people just tend to resonate a little more because you mean it because you're not your word isn't just some fluff in the air you actually take it to heart and i don't think there's enough people out there a lot of the times that really mean what they say wow deep (laughs) and my my advice out there for current managers and supervisors who have staff is firstly Make sure that if you do have like any situations that you get things in writing. I have a theory on having things in writing because if you're the type of supervisor that likes to talk a lot and just talk a lot of what I call hot air, then words disappear into thin air. But when you write them down, they're there forever. So if you're if you're managing staff, sometimes you might not remember what you say to which employee or the, the the supervisor who you are with employee A and B might be the a different supervisor that you need to be with employees D and F for example only because you have to uh, your your management has to be adaptive and you have to be able to recognize what your staff's ambitions are and then adapt so that you can always keep encouraging and motivating those employees to be the best that they can be and then another thing is that you also have to make time for them If you are uh, currently just working for an organization and then all of a sudden you inherit some employees and you now you have to become a supervisor, you cannot do 100% of what you were doing before and then just add on supervision. You also have to make time for your staff too. I would say maybe a third of your time is going to be spent just interacting with your staff, empowering them, engaging them, coming up with different ideas. And you can, you can knock it out. Um, all in one shot by doing things like uh, engagement activities or, or coming up with games or um, like how like how you said, Courtney, that in during the meetings, you have these quizzes at the end and you have them help each other out. Um, so I think some of some of that could also be very helpful in, in keeping the employees engaged. And if you if you foster a team environment, then you're going to get that. And if you do it well, you your team will become a family. And I think that's something that uh, all supervisors can can benefit from once you get to that level because that's when they'll be most productive i think mm-hmm. and you do spend more time with your coworkers than with your own family 
True that. So <laughs> definitely have that work fam. Mm-hmm. If you're fortunate to have one, you know. Shout unless, out to the work fam. Unless you just hire <laughs> unless you just hire your family. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, this has definitely been a, a very great show, and I appreciate that we kind of changed the tone a little bit. And I think we're gonna try to mix it up a little bit more, and then and provide some more tips and and share some more experiences so that our listeners can learn from us. And we would now like to turn to our listeners. What do you think about current management styles? Are there any experiences that you'd like to share with us, or any topics you'd like to hear on the show? Make sure to send us your thoughts at info at ologyresearchgroup.org and also make sure to check us out on Twitter at Ology Research. Have a great week.